Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. Welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I'm your host. This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And I have a very special guest here today and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you and how are you doing today? I'm so excited to be here, Meg. My name is Felicia Keller Boyle and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and primarily a business coach to other therapists all over the country and soon to be the world. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. To be honest, like I was saying before, I'm a little nervous just because I always get a little nervous, but nervousness can also be excitement. So I'm excited to be here and like have this conversation. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. I'm super excited to have you here. Okay. So enough with the small talk. Let's, Let's get into right it. In. Yes. Okay. So Felicia, um, as I start most of my guests with, I'll ask this question. What is your journey? Where have you been in this world? I mean, the yeah. therapy world, not the real world. Although that can into it. <laughs> um, where have I been in the therapy world? So my journey to becoming a therapist is a little bit unusual in that it didn't come from an experience of being in therapy or receiving mental health care. In fact, I definitely should have received mental health care when I was younger. I was one of those people who like was pretty high functioning, but like definitely could have used some support. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had other family members who were dealing with mental health and addiction in a much more obvious way. And so I think my desire to become a therapist really began with that. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I actually made the decision to become a therapist when I was 13. And it's like a very, very like clear memory of mine of like standing in like outside of my classroom with my really, really good friend Rose. Mm-hmm. And she was like kind of complaining about this interpersonal issue she was having with one of our other friends, which was like, they were like definitely frenemies. This was like always happening. And I just remember like being kind of neutral and trying to be really curious and asking questions and think about this creatively. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like people do this for work. (laughs) I think I want to do this. And I literally at the age of 13, like standing outside of that science class was like, I'm going to do this. Um, And it wasn't really until grad school, like many, many years later that I kind of began to unpack, like (laughs) it really wasn't just about standing outside of my science classroom. (laughs) It was about like my entire upbringing and my like compulsion to like help and fix and mend, which is like really, really beautiful in so many ways and a really common story for a lot of therapists, Mm -hmm. but it also has like, it's, it's darker underbelly as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's how I got started. Um, 
let's see. Um, then I, like I said, I went to undergrad, I studied psychology, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And then I moved back to my hometown and I worked in a methadone clinic for a couple of years. And that was like one of my first jobs, like actually working in mental health. It wasn't a trained therapist at the time, I was a drug counselor, um, but I had a caseload of over 70 patients. Um, I would have some days where I would see, especially if it was near the end of the month and we were trying to like be able to bill Medi-Cal for as much as we could possibly bill them for. Mm -hmm. I would get people like yanked in and out of my office for literally like 10 minutes at a time sometimes. Mm. And that was really crazy. That was, if I was ever going to burn out, it was there. Mm -hmm. It didn't quite get to that point, but it was really, really intense. Mm -hmm. So intense. Um, But the truth was I really, really loved the work with the people. I loved my clients there to this day. I have like really, really fond memories of those clients. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a really beautiful time. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so where are you today in the therapy world? Yeah. So a lot happened between that point and now, Mm -hmm. like obviously eventually I went to grad school. Um, I was in a training in which I was able to sort of create my own private practice or like something close to a private practice. And Mm -hmm. so I realized that that was like a great jumping off point to actually move forward with creating a private practice rather than going back to agency work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did right after I graduated, after I got my hours, I started my private practice and I did that for, I think like two or three years, like fully my own business. Mm -hmm. And then along the way I started mentoring other therapists and even started coaching other therapists. Like my friends would hire me. And actually in the past year, I closed my therapy practice to focus solely on coaching other therapists. So at this Mm -hmm. point, even though I'm still licensed, I'm not currently seeing clients as a therapist. Um, And I'm just teaching other therapists how to run their businesses. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know that we um, <clears throat> we connected on Instagram, which is where I found out about the things that you're doing and working with other therapists. And I've just always been very like excited by the stuff that you post because it, a lot of it seems sort of like, I don't want to call it antithetical to the therapy world, but like, there's a lot of stuff that is like, no, it is okay. There you you're go. not it's, wrong. <laughs> yes. There you go. It's you're sharing things on there that really kind of point to ways of, of doing therapy or being a successful therapist that go against what we have been taught. Um, especially when it comes to the way that you run your business and the way that you, um, you structure your fees and the things that you're doing to make it actually sustainable for yourself in the long term. Um, so I, I mean, immediately, like when we connected, I thought that was something that was super cool. And I'm curious to hear from you, like, how does that type of work impact the therapist that you do? Like, how does that help them understand maybe their burnout or the things that they're going through as therapists? And what what do you see come out of that program that you run? Mm. Thanks for that question. Um, Well, first, I just want to say, I'm so glad that you can tell that I'm kind of trying to Destroy might be a little strong, but not, (laughs) not too far removed. Mm -hmm. I really want to change the way that 
we understand therapy and yeah. therapists in this career. Like I, I didn't, <laughs> maybe I did realize what I was agreeing to when I signed up for this and it made perfect sense at the time, especially given where I came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it might be worthwhile to add that part of my story is I'm a first generation college student that I was raised by a single mother um, with just a high school education. Um, my father was in jail throughout my childhood. He wasn't a part of the picture. So like this sort of hustling work ethic, the sort of like relationship with money that has a lot to do with, yeah, just like working hard for very little is something mm-hmm. that I saw modeled all throughout my life. And one of the really crucial things is that my mom was, was a house cleaner up until I was in junior high. And so I grew up sometimes going with her to work to like really nice houses that she would be cleaning while other families were on vacation. Right. Mm-hmm. So I saw my mom working so, so, so hard and just not making that much headway. Right. So like, that's what I saw modeled for me. And so it makes perfect sense that I then went into a career that really reinforces that. And I don't, let me be clear. I don't think it has to be that way. I don't for a second believe that therapists have to be broke and have to hustle. And that's, that's why I created my program, right? Mm -hmm. Liberated business. That's why I created it. Um, Because I don't want to see other therapists burnout, hustle, be broke. And there are some, there are some therapists, unfortunately, who are probably going to spend their careers doing that. But for the people who have started to question, like that, it has to be this way. Like Mm -hmm. the people who are curious about there being other options, I really wanted to create a place for them to come to get encouraged in that because it's not easy for therapists out there. We, we get it from from the institutions that we learn at, from our supervisors, from our peers, we get it from all angles, this reinforcement that it's better and um, more honorable to do really, really tough work to get paid very little. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true yeah. <laughs> at all. And uh, yeah, I want to create a, a safe place for therapists to come where they can really get nurtured and learn a lot of very practical skills, because if you're going to be a therapist in private practice, you are a business owner, you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us, even, even those therapists who do go into private practice, um, they kind of do it with their eye, like with their eyes, like half shut kind of wincing. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll open my own private practice, but like oh, mm-hmm. marketing or sales or oh, business owner. And, and we'll say it with pride. We'll be like, well, I'm you know, I'm a therapist first, not a business, you know, I'm not a business owner. I don't see it that way. And it's like, well, you need to, Mm -hmm. because unless this is a really expensive hobby, like we need to like handle some things here. So I, I don't know, did that end up answering? Yeah. I mean, I I think what comes to mind for me a lot is talking about money and the Mm -hmm. things things like that, especially for therapists, um, but kind of like across the board, especially for women, which of course therapy is dominated by women pr- primarily, yeah. but talking about money can be such a, like, I'm going to cover my eyes, my ears. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it. Thinking about talking about money with other therapists or with my clients or charging Absolutely. fees for my service. Like it creates so much anxiety for people. Um, and that's just something that like, 
I don't know. I don't know what you've noticed for yourself as you work with other therapists. Like what are the money stories that people mm. come to you with yeah. when you work with them? I love this question. What I think has been really fascinating about working with a whole range of people mm-hmm. is that it, that everybody has one. Everybody has a money story and it doesn't matter if they feel like they're broke now, mm-hmm. if they feel like they have a lot of money right now, if they grew up with access to wealth, if they didn't. I've met people from every different part of that spectrum <laughs> and they've all got some money gunk that yeah. needs to be healed and cleared up. And I, I definitely, definitely came into this field with so much of that. Um, so much. I used to say that very, very proudly that therapy was like a low paying field by design. And I actually think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, actually, it <laughs> it's actually true, but my, the connotation with which I would say that it was very different. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I would say that. And, and I would follow it up with, because, you know, it keeps the wrong, it p- keeps people out of it for the wrong reasons, you know, or it keeps mm-hmm. the wrong people out of it. Mm-hmm. And as I began to like really address my discomfort around money, I started to see that I, that, that meant that I thought wanting to have money was bad. Mm-hmm. I completely associated with wanting to have money with being bad. And that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. If we go back to like how I grew up, right? Like it was money was a real source of pain and stress. Yeah. It was really, really painful as a child to watch my mother work very hard, constantly stressed out and still not have enough money. Meanwhile, you know, (laughs) literally cleaning houses of people who are on vacation, like Mm -hmm. that is hard for a child. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So like, I think I really associated like having money with being out of touch Mm -hmm. with being greedy, with being careless. Right. And I think in my journey to like heal my relationship with money, I really had to allow for myself to learn along the way, Mm -hmm. you know, like to allow myself to have more money and to trust myself to be in integrity with it. And that's Mm going to look different for every single person. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't have the perspective that like being good with money or being, um, having integrity with money looks like X and it's the same for every person. I think actually we all have to decide what that's going to be like for us. Right. But I think it's still worthwhile to ask that question of yourself. What would it look like for me to be wealthy and have integrity with money? What, mm-hmm. how do I define that? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are scared of who and what will become if we have access to wealth. So we'll, we're just not even going to go down that road because mm-hmm. all I've seen are examples of people, you know, being bad with money. And so we are like, well, why, why would I be any different? But I think it's, I think it's worthwhile for us to give ourselves the opportunity to try because that, that is ultimately what will change how we define wealth, how we define like distribution of money, right. Is if more people start getting access to it and defining for themselves, like what it means to do right with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really like, that's an interesting way to approach it. And I, 
I agree with that. And I align with that. And I'm also hearing like the mini version of me that's coming out of grad school and probably a lot of folks who maybe are listening to this and, and feeling like that twinge of, but I'm, I'm here to help people. And if my services are inaccessible because of money, that makes me a bad person, which it, it mm-hmm. like, it can create such a whirlwind of stress and frustration because like, obviously the show is about burnout. And one of the big things that can contribute to burnout is financial stress, which is rampant in our field, right? Like there are a ton of really amazing clinicians who are working under duress because they cannot afford to pay for things that they need to pay for, let alone what they want to pay for. So there's this like financial stress can lead to or exacerbate burnout. But at the same time, we as a field and we as a society have this, this big idea, like what you're talking about, having money is bad. Making money in a field like this inherently mm-hmm. makes you a bad person. Um, and if, if you have that amount of money, like what is that, what does that mean about you as a therapist? You only care about the money when it's That's like, right. but we, we also, we also need to have access to resources to be the best clinicians that we can be. So it's like, I love this approach and I love talking about it. And I can also hear my own inner critic saying, but, but like, you can't, can't do that. It's just such like a back and forth with it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it is really hard to hold both. And I think what you're describing is exactly the reason that I've like nicknamed myself the bad therapist, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Because, because the good therapist wouldn't make any money. We wouldn't understand how they're able to pay their bills every month would be kind of like this mysterious thing, but like somehow they managed to pull it off and they, they're, you know, they're doing, it's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this is making me think of, um, the difference between householders and monastics. This is something I talked about in a course that I did a while back, mm-hmm. um, maybe even in healing money, but there's a, there's a difference between being a, holding the responsibilities of a householder versus holding the responsibilities of a monastic. So like in Buddhist traditions, a person who is a monastic, they live and work and practice at the monastery and the monastery is supported by the community. Mm-hmm. A householder may also practice. They may also be Buddhist. They may also do meditation. They may also like follow the Eightfold Path, all of these things but their responsibility is to maintain their household and Mm -hmm. do their livelihood. And they also give to the monastics. They also support the monastics. And I think therapists are in this really weird place. It's like hard for us to hold both. Like we're kind of trying to live like monastics when we're actually householders Mm -hmm. because our work is so heart centered and it is a helping profession that we can almost get into the space where we're imagining that we're just monastics. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is like, you're not a monastic. You are, you are at the end of the day, a householder with a business that also is a service. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important for therapists to understand that at the end of the day, this is their livelihood. Yeah. It doesn't have to take anything away from the fact that they, they are supporting and helping people, but that's what it is. It's a livelihood. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's, I mean, you know, as therapists, we, we try to help our clients understand the value of holding two different things at one time. And maybe both of them can feel true. Um, and not necessarily having to like totally reject one side or totally reject the other. And when it comes to like managing your finances as a therapist, there can be that discomfort around, like you want to hold this piece where you can be this open heart centric person who is always there to support clients. And you are the person who like, maybe you're a parent or you're a pet parent, or you're a partner, a friend, a child to somebody, a community member, and you want to be able to participate in that as well. And in the world that we live in, not always, but often it requires a certain amount of resourcing to be able to do that. Um, and at right. least in, in my work that I do with clients, like we're not always super focused on the, on the material resources, but there's no part of me that does not want abundance for them and wealth that is able to support what they need for themselves. And so it's always been so interesting to like, turn it back to me and say like, oh, but I don't need, I don't need exactly. that. <laughs> right. Which is just not really true. Right. And I think, you know, your podcast is really bringing to this to the forefront, but like this perspective is not sustainable over decades of a career. Like this, this sort of attitude of, yeah, every, yeah, I want you to have wealth. I want you to have safety, all of these things for our clients, but, but I'll, I'll go without Yeah, is not sustainable. And there are real consequences. Mm -hmm. There are real consequences for therapists who, uh, basically are, are not, are not radically aligning with this current reality. And I think that's, that's something we really struggle with because we're not happy with this current reality. The, the, the reality is that mental health care is not valued. The reality is that healthcare is not a right. It's a privilege. Mm -hmm. And we don't like that. And I'm 100% in agreement with it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this is how it should be. Yeah. Period. And this is how it is right now. I'm not saying we can't change it, but I'm saying we got to deal with what's happening right now. And therapists burning themselves out over and over and over again, while a fresh batch comes up right behind them to replace them. Mm -hmm. This is, this is not solving the larger issue either. Right. And that's kind of, I think that's what we have to deal with here is like, the way that we've been doing this isn't changing the larger problem. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's easy to point to monetary um, in, you know, the income, your wealth, what you gain out of this position or this industry as like sort of a, a marker to kind of gauge your success. But it, it really is important to highlight the fact that it does not all come down to the money that you make. It's, it's important, but what other abundance do you have in your life with your family, with your mm -hmm. friends, with the things that you love to do? And are you sacrificing those things? Are you not engaging in your full life because you are giving all of that life force over to your work? Um, right. As you said, to like, to participate in the system that just isn't actually working. <laughs> For most it's of the not. people involved. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it works well for the clients. I don't, it definitely does not work well for the therapists. And I think, yeah, when I see therapists really confront this reality, um, what I see happen is 
they're, they're happier. They're, they're happier in their lives. They're better spouses and parents and Mm -hmm. better clinicians because here's the thing, like money is such a taboo topic and confronting like the therapists who really do that work in themselves and in their practices are more robust, more resilient therapists and can go to some deeper places with their clients right? Like that, it makes them better clinicians at the end of the day. Um, And I think it also, I think this industry is radically changing. And I think because of that, the entire system is going to have to begin to accommodate this change that therapists are making that like fewer and fewer of us are are willing Mm -hmm. to die (laughs) without any retirement. You know, like this is, this, that's the consequence of these sorts of decisions. It means like debt for the rest of our lives, not being able to save for retirement. When our friends and family members are inviting us to different activities, trips, we say no, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the cost of not doing this. Um, it means, you know, for some people who want to have kids, maybe it's like, well, I can't afford to have a kid. So I'm not having one, right? There are all these things that the costs that we're incurring as the provider by not, by not dealing with our money stuff Mm -hmm. and by not creating practices that are sustainable, not just sustainable (laughs) from a very low bar, but like practices that are sustainable and abundant. Right. Right. What I also see therapists do when they uh, take responsibility for this is they, they give in other ways, generally speaking. And Mm -hmm. I know this is true for me because I have created my business in such a way that people pay me well for my services, I actually create so much more free content than I ever have. Like I am giving back in a much bigger way in my business. And I also am able to set aside a portion of my money to donate to other things that I care about. I wasn't doing that before on the level that I'm doing it now because I was just trying to keep up right? Yeah. So I think, I think things begin to change on a bigger level. Like we can give back, but we have to be willing to take that step into maybe not being a good therapist anymore in the traditional sense. I'm not saying like being a, being an irresponsible clinician, but I mean, mm-hmm. being the good therapist Yeah. that doesn't ruffle feathers, that doesn't mm-hmm. ask for much. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, for myself, over this past year, as I have, so like along my journey of being a therapist, I've moved from nonprofit to nonprofit to a group practice. And now I'm, I'm, I'm building my private practice. And through that whole process, I have gradually learned these, um, the money lessons. And so like an anecdote is probably a few months into one of my more recent jobs working with a group practice. I remember it was March, it was cold. I went for a walk being typical me, very, very melodramatic. I walked over to the local cemetery and was just like, I remember crying in the middle of the cemetery thinking, I don't know how I'm going to be able to make this work, but I have to, like, I have to make this work. And at that time, just not, not fully connecting with the fact that like, I did, I didn't have to stay where I was like somebody else could decide that that position was good for them, but I didn't have to decide that the position was good for me just because, um, and it's like, 
it takes so much, I think, especially for people in this field to admit, like, in order to do something good for myself and take care of myself, some people are probably going to be disappointed and I'm going to have to adjust things and to be okay with that, like to be okay with moving on. Um, which I think a lot of us are not necessarily like, we're very good at what we do, but like, I don't know about you, but I didn't get a ton of like lessons during grad school about closure with clients. It's just like do Mm. a closing ceremony and talk to them about it. Like what, but what, what what ceremony? Yeah. And (laughs) and how do, how do I compete with this like deep internal sense of like, I'm doing something wrong by taking care of myself. Yes. That conflict, I'm doing something wrong by taking care of myself is like the crux of why therapists are burnt out. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's another thing that was very, very important to me in creating liberated business is like, mm-hmm. there are definitely, uh, there are plenty of coaching programs out there for therapists, which I didn't really know until I started doing it. And then I'm like, Oh my God, there's so many of us. Mm-hmm. But the, one of the things that I don't see anyone else doing is really talking about how running your business is a spiritual practice. Hmm. Like that, that conflict of taking care of myself or doing good is like at the heart of a spiritual issue. And believe it or not, like it comes up when we're doing things like marketing, like being more visible, like it's so evocative. And I think I saw a lot of programs out there that were just like, oh, just do this. Like just raise your fee, just do it. Or like, mm-hmm. just, just go network. And it's like, okay, cool. But like, what if that's so scary? For sure. <laughs> then oh like, gosh, where yeah. are the programs that are like handling that part of the equation? Yeah. That like, there's this deep, deep internal conflict. Like if it were that simple, I'd already be doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, how do I deal with the fact that like, this is like transforming my soul Like something that seems so silly, like a post on Instagram is actually like bringing up deep spiritual issues for me Mm -hmm. to take a look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think something else that is important here, like what you're saying about like the people pleasing and kind of like, you know, as a therapist, we can do a lot of deep internal work, but like, then there's like weirdly this kind of corner of experience where we're like, okay, but not that though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we will go well, every other place, but that is off else. limits. <laughs> right. Isn't that weird? Ah, uh, so weird. Yes. <laughs> and that's why I think like doing this kind of work as therapists does in fact make us better clinicians because we really, really, I mean, this is probably one of the most taboo things that we could go into. And if we're willing to enter into that place mm-hmm. and transform it and heal it and integrate it, then we can't, we can't go through that entire process and not be better clinicians as a result, mm-hmm. right? We're so often trying to support our clients and empower them to um, be willing to take risks. Because, I mean, that's growth, right? Yeah. Growth is, is anything that is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're uncomfortable, you know that you're probably growing, right? Yeah. And then there's this whole pocket of things that like we don't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole. That can't, that can't not affect our work with clients. No. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, I hope I'm using this right. I should know this, but there's the idea of like 
transference and countertransference, right? So like our stuff, as much as we try to set that aside, like it's going to come up, it's going to mm-hmm. come up, whether that's in conversation around the fee or the way that you're reacting to a client or the dark corner that you're not paying attention to, it's going to be there. It absolutely is going to be there. Like the fact that you as a clinician are not willing to deal with your money stuff, your fears around being greedy or one of the bad guys, that is, that's present. That's present. Yeah. Whether we're paying attention to it or not. Mm -hmm. And I find myself as we're talking about this, even though like, so like this podcast is a platform that like I have creative control over, right? Like it's associated with me, blah, blah, blah. But I still in this moment find myself being like, oh, these therapists are going to think that we're just talking about being greedy. Like it's happening actively as we're talking about it. And I'm like, but, but why, but why? No. I mean, like, this is part of being a business owner, working in this field, like acknowledging the stuff that makes us uncomfortable and talking about it openly, like burnout. Like, I think the first time that I admitted out loud that I was feeling burnt out to anybody, I was like, oh my God, they're going to think that I'm awful and incompetent and I can't do this. And now I have That's to right. quit and live in a, live in a yurt somewhere else. Like, <laughs> that's all I can afford. I can only afford a year basically, (laughs) but here I stand or technically sit, but like, and you made it. Yeah. And people are listening and the people who need to hear this are the ones who are showing up and I, and the people who don't want to hear it are also getting benefit from this. So this is something that I think is really important about visibility, whatever that is that whether people like it or they don't like it, you are still providing a service. So I used to be so much more associated with the parts of myself that were really, really, really committed to honestly being poor. Like Mm -hmm. just to put it really, really bluntly, because again, growing up, I thought that was better than having money. And like the fact was, is not having it was really painful, but I felt high and mighty being poor, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one point I had to switch schools and I was in a much wealthier school and I just like hated everyone. I just hit. And I was like, I thought it was like so cool in a way because like, like my life was harder and I really, you know, I got it and they didn't understand. And they're like nice houses with two parents. I was like, ah, fuck you. Right. (laughs) And so like when I would see people with, with wealth or later on as a therapist, when I would see other people in other careers, I, I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the people who had money. I thought that was bad. I thought it was selfish, but that was also an important part of this process. You know, like mm-hmm. there are some, everyone's in a different place. Some people are at the place where they're just beginning to consider these ideas and they're hearing this and they're kind of like in that tense place where part of them's getting excited and they're like, Oh my God, I'm going to be able to make some money. I was, Oh my God. Like, what would it be like to not be worried about rent? And they're like excited. And then you have people who are more on board and they're like, when does liberated business start? Sign me up. And then you Mm -hmm. have people who are hearing this right now who are like, turn, you know, they turned it off five minutes ago. Cause they're like these bitches. Like, I can't, I can't listen to them. Can't believe them. (laughs) Can't believe them. They're terrible, but it's like every single person, regardless of where they're at is getting what they need. And I think one of the most radical things that we can do, and you spoke about this earlier, is to be willing to be disliked to, and for me, 
the, the maybe harder, more like edgy one is to be willing to be misunderstood, mm. to be willing to be a person that people would have a bad opinion of. Because it's been so important throughout my life to be liked, to be good, mm-hmm. to be thought of well. And as I've grown in my business, and especially as I'm like teaching other therapists when I'm teaching them, I have really, really, really had to begin to accept that some people aren't going to like me. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to do this with our clients too. Right. If we're going to, if we're going to start to take steps in our practices that are going to create more wealth and abundance for ourselves, there are probably going to be moments where our clients don't like us, where they do think we're selfish, where they do challenge our desires, where we feel compelled to prove or explain ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to be willing to sit in that emotional discomfort. And that, that is part of like the spiritual process of being willing to be open to it all instead of trying to avoid the discomfort at all costs to actually move toward it because it's, it's just the next step down the path. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I don't think prior to this conversation, I'd really thought about owning a business as a spiritual practice, but I think in, in the more that you talk about it, like that really aligns with it's, I mean, I'm sure it can be true for any profession, any industry, but as this is a podcast for therapists, um, it's, it's especially true because we put so much of ourselves into the work that we do. Um, even if that, like, even if we enter the therapy room as a blank slate, like we're still bringing experience and skill and desire and passion and everything that has driven us to this particular career. And to think of like a business as an extension of that, for me, it helps me view it more as like, this is something that I get to take care of now and something that I get to foster mm. rather than like, oh my God, I have to market. I have to network. I have to do the, the fucking accounting side. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I get to, and it's going to be a yeah. challenge sometimes. Like spirituality can be a huge challenge sometimes. Like it can really test you. Um, right. But yeah, it like, brings me such joy to hear you say that, <laughs> that, you're like, that this is maybe changing the way that you see yeah. running your business is something you get to do. You get to be a steward of this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. often we've, we've come to our work with clients with like so much intention, so much heart, so much goodwill, but then we get into our practices and we just want to kind of sweep like shove everything else into a dark corner. And it's like, that's, that's not loving. That's not mm-hmm. open that's, there's a lot of, um, aversion in that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'll sit in here with my clients, but like, God forbid I have to interact with money. God forbid I have to work my, my edges around visibility, or I have to express that I feel like I'm good at my job and people should hire me. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) People can't see this, but Meg just backed up. (laughs) No, 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 no. Right. It's like, so yeah. What if this is just like yet another opportunity to practice? Because it's, as we've been talking about, like running your business is so evocative. Mm-hmm. But when you see it as like just another opportunity to practice whatever spiritual principles you have in your life, you know, and everybody gets to have their own, but like imagining that 
your finances in your business, your marketing in your business, your sales process in your business all gets to be a place where you practice your spiritual principles. Mm -hmm. It's nothing gets left out. Nothing gets cut away. It all gets to be there together. Yeah. And that's what we need, right? We need people, especially such heart-centered therapists applying their spirituality to their businesses. The reason why we think business is garbage and shitty (laughs) is because of the way people have been doing it. We have an opportunity to actually redefine what that is. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the like heartless CEO is such an archetype. Like, again, this goes back to the way that a lot of society views people who have some semblance of control or power or authority, um, especially women and especially women of color and queer women and just people of color in general, like taking back that power to say, this is not a bad thing. This is actually very powerful. And it's something that I am directing for myself. Um, it's exactly. super, super not what people are saying about CEOs and business owners in general, um, right. In our society. What I've seen with the women in my life that have money is, is a lot of good is really coming from that. And I think one of the things that was very important for me along my money journey, and I feel like this is really important to say because it was crucial. And I think anyone who is taking steps down, this would do really, really well to, to do what I'm about to tell you, which is find someone who has money and is interacting with money in a way that you admire Mm -hmm. and get in a conversation with them. One of these people, one of the first people I knew about, uh, my mom became a massage therapist when I was in junior high. And one of her massage therapy clients was a business owner. His name is Glenn. And he started his own business. He, He has accumulated a lot of wealth. He goes on trips that he likes all the time. And he, he donates a lot of money. He just get, he's just giving away money yeah. like all the time. I wanted to throw a party for my mom. And I, I think I called him to like, ask him for a recommendation. And he was like, oh, I'll just pay for the catering. Like here's, here's just money for the catering. And I was like, that, that is who I want to be because the, the kind of shadow side of being, being broke all those years is like, I was weirdly more selfish. I was weirdly more stingy because I was afraid because there was so much lack. There was so much fear around not having money that I actually didn't feel like I could be generous with it. I didn't have the freedom to, to show an act of kindness to a stranger in a way, because I I was afraid that I wouldn't have enough. Mm -hmm. But the real beauty about having more than enough is that you can just do what you want with it. Right. If someone you know yeah. needs money, you can just give it to them. And like, that's yeah. really exciting. Um, and then the next person that I really discovered was the person who became my business coach. Um, she was, yeah, she's a woman who created a business and her fees are high. And I see her doing so much good in the world. She, employ- she employs an entire staff of women to work in her business and pays them well. She creates tons of free offers for people and is very supportive. And I see her in integrity with her work. So I think that's really important when we're looking for people. It's so easy to find all the bad examples with money, all the people you don't like. Mm -hmm. 
find someone and start talking to them. And if you don't know that person yet, and you're hearing me talk, if you need me to be that person, I can be that person for you too. Like reach out to me and we can have a conversation about my journey, about where you're at, because I really, really want people to see that it gets to be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, it can be really very easy, almost too easy, like automatic to look at the negative examples of how money impacts the world and people that we perceive as being negative who have a lot of monetary influence. And of course, like what I tell clients is our brains are wired to orient toward the negative because for whatever reason, like even if it doesn't apply to us, it it helps us feel safe to know like, yes, okay, I know this for real. Like that person is bad and that person has money. And so therefore money is bad. That confirms what I feel like I know about the world. I don't have to challenge the way that I'm thinking about, oh, all of these actually really good people with integrity who are using their money as tools to do good in the world. What if I could do that? Holy shit. What if I had money? Like, right. (laughs) It's like, doesn't that feel like your voice even changed as you said that it seemed mm -hmm. like there's like this lightness. It's like, wait a minute. I get to decide. And I think that was, that's a thought that was really revolutionary for me is like, I get to decide. Mm -hmm. And I also don't have to do this alone. I think, you know, a lot of us therapists also have perfectionistic tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the other issues around growing around money is I, I was really ignorant. I had a lot of ignorance around just financial information. Like I didn't know how money worked in the world really because I had never seen it modeled. So I didn't know what would happen if I got money. I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know what to do with it. Right. And because I'm a perfectionist, I was like, well, I have to do it perfectly. But if I don't know how to do it perfectly, then maybe I just shouldn't do it at all. Right. Which was kind Mm -hmm. of like the attitude. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do with this. So I'm just not going to do anything with it at all. Um, But once I decided that I was going to try, I was going to allow myself the opportunity to have money Mm -hmm. and to learn. I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to walk down this path, like, what do I need to learn? It's like, okay, well, I don't like our financial models. I think they're bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it is the current reality I'm living in. It's probably better for me to be educated than ignorant. So Mm -hmm. I can make wise decisions for myself within these, within these systems. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think I had a fantasy for a long time of like, you know, I'm just going to be like apart from the world of finance. Like, I'm just not going to participate in that. That's like for other people and they Mm -hmm. have weird priorities and like, they don't really care. That's like for them, but I'm over here and I'm so great. I'm like, I just don't need to do that. It's like, that is hilarious. (laughs) That's so funny. Like Uh that's, that's completely insane that I thought I could like simply opt out. Like, sure. If I'm truly going to go like up into the mountains and maybe live off the grid. That's one thing, but let's be real. I live in San Francisco and I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I can fantasize about it. I can pretend, but like at the end of the day, I haven't left San Francisco in 10 years. It's not real. I'm not going to just suddenly decide to go live off the grid. So right. given that reality, how can I be wise? Mm-hmm. What do I need to learn to to make decisions that make sense for me? And can I give myself permission to maybe make mistakes along the way Mm -hmm. and to learn more and course correct? So like 
there's a lot of releasing the perfectionism. There's a lot of being willing to ruffle feathers, let, let go of people pleasing, being willing to be disliked or misunderstood. All of, all of that has to get opened up, the willingness to experience mm-hmm. all of that emotion, all of the discomfort that comes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so for folks who are listening, if you, if you've, if you've stuck through this with that sort of like nervous excitement energy, or even if you're feeling more aligned, um, I would encourage you to check in with how you're feeling. Is that, is there discomfort happening for you? Um, just (laughs) what I wanted to say is like, maybe know that that says a little bit more about your internal process more than me and Felicia just talking about being bad therapists. Um, It could be some of that too, but yeah, just like check, check in, see what it feels like to think about the possibility of allowing yourself to enter a different, uh, a different financial world or allowing yourself to make mistakes as you go through this process. Um, even, even if you're not in private practice and you're still working at a community mental health center, or you're still at a nonprofit, even if you never have plans of leaving, like just consider what this information might mean for you. Um, and if it's stirring up a lot of negative emotions or discomfort, like, I don't know, just be curious about it. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a great invitation because I think we can start doing things even in agencies. Like one of the things that I did in that methadone clinic Mm -hmm. is I refused to answer my phone when I was in session with somebody, which Mm -hmm. was like the norm, like why we had phones in our, I guess it made sense, but like, you know, 90% of the time when I was in my office, there was a client there with me, Mm -hmm. but I would be constantly getting calls from the reception desk and I'd have a client sitting in front of me and they were just used to their counselors picking up the phone. They'd be like, Oh, you can get that. I'm like, no, no, we're in here together. We'll let it ring. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, next time you're out in the lobby, do not ask the receptionist to call me because I won't be answering the phone because I'll be doing this with the person who's in here with me. And over time, my phone stopped ringing. Mm-hmm. And clients were pissed at me at first. I would go out into the lobby and they'd be like, Felicia, blah, blah, blah. and I'd be like, cool, I'll see you when it's your session. Mm-hmm. And like, it wasn't easy. And people were pissed. And some, some people would probably look at that and say, like, that's really not compassionate of you, Felicia. That person's really suffering. You should attend to them immediately. If I did that, Every single time, there's no way I would have been able to meet with the people when it was the time for me to meet with them, right? Yeah. Because I would yeah. be busy putting out fires everywhere else. Now, that's an, that's an extreme example. Although some of your listeners are working in places like that where, where that's actually how it is. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Something else that I did while I was there is I created something that I used from that point on all the way through my private practice. So like literally 10 years for 10 years, I've been using this document that I created, Mm -hmm. which was how to get the most out of our time together. Yeah. So I like, there was all this paperwork that people had to do at the agency, but if you were one of my clients, then you got an extra special document that was like, (laughs) this is how I work. This is what you can expect from me. This is how I'm going to hold the time. And by, by the time I left that clinic, I didn't leave burnt out. I didn't leave in a rush. I told my clients this, this, you know, a lot of these places have really high turnover because they're so intense and therapists leave very abruptly because Mm -hmm. they they're suddenly burnt out and it makes perfect sense. But um, yeah, I was able to hold boundaries while I was there. I became known as the strict therapist 
or the strict counselor, <laughs> but it was all, but I was also like very well loved by my yeah. clients because mm-hmm. it was super consistent with them. They knew what they were getting with me. And I paid yeah. attention when they were in the room. Um, but yeah, because I protected myself from burnout there, I let them know two months ahead of time that I was going to be leaving. We were able to end really, really sweetly. And I was told by a counselor who kind of inherited my caseload, she was like, that's the easiest transition I've ever experienced. Your clients came over like so much more smoothly. Mm -hmm. There wasn't as much distress in the change. Mm -hmm. They were used to someone who held really strong boundaries with them. Yeah. And yeah. So even for folks who are in agencies, I know you don't have as much control and I wish you did. And I, the question I would encourage you to ask yourself is what can I do right here, right now in this reality to make it just a little bit better for myself? Yeah. Like, what is the thing that I can do? Because there are ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that speaks really strongly to like boundaries are kind of a buzzword in the therapy world, but I think that's not for a bad reason, right? Like we're all kind of coming to this awareness of how, how utterly important it is for us to be able to not only have boundaries, but to honor them. And that is in personal life, professional life, wherever we are. And I think that your story speaks to that and like how it can work really well for somebody who sets those things up for themselves and then honors that because it it allows you that opportunity to, as you said, show up consistently in a way that worked for your clients. Even if they saw you as quote unquote strict, like they knew what to expect and you knew what to expect. And there wasn't this like chaotic back and forth around like being available and then being unavailable and then back and forth. And then you just poof disappear, which happens so much. Like so many people leave so quickly and like, I haven't gotten to that point exactly, but I, I can take a pretty good guess at what it feels like. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame people for doing that. Right. Yeah, absolutely no shade to therapists that are doing that. It's certainly better to like get out if you need to get out. Mm -hmm. And right, whenever possible. I I I think it's the overarching message is just like you matter, you fundamentally matter. And I know it's so hard for us to put ourselves first. Like therapists, again, we 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 didn't come to this profession by accident. Not everyone is going to choose to do this. It's a really, really weird choice for a career. (laughs) It's a super weird choice. You are probably a person who struggles with putting yourself first. You have a career that, you know, from, from the outside looking in really looks like it's all about you taking care of other people. And in a lot of ways, that's how it has been. We pay a lot of lip service in grad school to like therapists having boundaries and self-care and blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to it in practice, there's almost no support for that. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're, that's why Meg and I are having this conversation, right? That's why you created this is because we're actively trying to change that and empower people to make those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And look, if we all are gonna like, no longer agree to these terms, agencies are going to have to make changes. Our government is going to have to make changes to how we fund mental health care. It's going to have to change if we stop colluding with the system that is so harmful to mental health workers. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I think I did a, um, 
an episode about this a while ago, solo episode about why it is important to talk about burnout. And that's, that is part of it. Like it's, it's harmful to the people who are working in the system. There's a lot of like top-down pressure from admin to the supervisors, to the therapists. And what ends up happening ultimately is the clients end up getting subpar care. Therapists end up getting emotional the damage yep. from this mental absolutely uh, burnout and it just yeah we have to be able to when we're able to and when it makes sense for us in our lives like find those points where we can step out of the systems and try something different um, right even if, even if that means like you don't necessarily have to leave your agency in order for that to happen. Like this isn't just a, everybody go to private practice and leave that world behind <laughs> kind of thing. But like, there are so many different levels of change that can happen. That's right. At, at any organization, anywhere. Right. And like, I don't know, part of what I wanted to do with this podcast was like, start to get some of us in agreement that like, this isn't okay. And we want, we want this to change isn't that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, this isn't okay. It's not. And I, I'm so happy to see more and more therapists arriving at this place, which I, I, I mean, it's hard to say, cause I've only been around for the time that I've been around, but like mm -hmm. the sense I'm having is that this, this really is shifting mm -hmm. on a much larger level than it has for previous generations of mental health care workers. I think the pandemic definitely highlighted that how valuable the service is, how important it is and how, how poorly we've been paid <laughs> over the years, yeah. right? So I, I think this really is shifting. I think more and more of us are in agreement. And But that's not to say that it's even the majority of us. And that's, again, why it's so important for me to create spaces where therapists can come and begin to grow in this way because it's, it's pretty tender. Like it doesn't take much to kind of send us back into our turtle shells because yep. we're getting, you know, 90% of the messaging is like, you shouldn't want to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're doing that, then you don't actually care about other people, mm -hmm. right? So to create a space where therapists can really, really lean into, you know, I'm, I am putting my oxygen mask on first. I'm not just mm -hmm. talking about it. I'm literally taking steps in my life, in my business, in my practice, in my agency to do that, mm -hmm. right? And it might be as simple as like not answering the phone when you're in session with clients. Like Absolutely. maybe that's the beginning. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Easier said than done. I'm not saying that was an easy transition. People were pissed and flabbergasted. They were like, <laughs> why are you doing this? But it, like, I don't know when I hear that. And I, I only worked in an environment like that briefly during an internship. And even then, like we didn't have phones in the, the, the meeting spaces where we were with clients. It just like, it blows my mind that they would think that's okay. Like we're going to interrupt your therapeutic process. Oh my God, Meg, there's so many stories <laughs> I could tell you. Like we don't, that's a whole nother, if we just want to have like yeah. another episode about crazy things that happened while I was there, we can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was nuts. I was in a, I was in a office the size of a closet with no window for like a year. I'm like, this was funny. I hung up a sheet like, and kind of made fake drapes on one of the walls mm -hmm. to give the illusion of a window for my own sanity and for my clients. And when I moved offices and took it down, the clients were like, wait a minute. Like, I thought there was a window there. It worked. It did work. Actually, if you're in a windowless office, I encourage you to hang fake drapes on the wall because it can do a lot for your mental health. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I get it and that's great, but also, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> the, the adaptability is impressive. I will say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We try. Uh, yeah. It's, oh my gosh. Stories. So many stories. Um, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about the spaces that you are creating or that you have created for folks. Cause I know that you have a few um, exciting exciting things coming up for your business. So what's coming up for you? I do. I'm really excited about it. So, um, the six figure therapist challenge is my next offering. I'm really excited about it. I have been helping therapists grow their practices and make more money. And for this offering, I just wanted to make it like super, super, so clear. Like anyone, if they follow this, will have six figures in their practice within a year. So I'm going to be laying out those steps. Um, in that challenge, it begins on December 6th and you can actually sign up for it right now. It's $30. And that's like a great example of how, when you're putting your oxygen mask on first, you can create offerings that are, um, at a range of prices, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just $30. And it's kind of like an introduction to the next round of liberated business, which will begin on January 17th. Um, and the cart for that will open on December 10th. So Liberated Business is my year-long coaching program for therapists where I teach you everything that you need to know about running a private practice. I have guest experts coming in across a bunch of different fields, plenty around money, including a financial planner and some accountants, a money mindset coach, um, and then a lot of other types of guests. So I have someone coming in talking about marketing and style, someone coming in about building an anti-racist practice. Mm -hmm. So we're really covering a huge range of topics. And like I said, there is a lot of room for your kind of spiritual growth within and alongside of the business end of things. So anyway, I'm really, really excited about these next things. This round of liberated business will be my third round of people, which feels like I can't believe we're already at the third round of people because mm-hmm. yeah, this just started as an idea and then I made it and now it's a thing. And like, mm-hmm. it's, a it's thing. just, now it's like <laughs> totally a thing, but really it's, it's a program where I have pulled together all of the information I've learned about running a business that I've gathered basically over the last like five plus years, maybe even the past decade and all of like my favorite people who I've learned from all under one roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can DM me, you can start asking me about it right now. You can go to my website and learn more about it. Like I said, the cart will open for that on the 10th and it will begin on January 17th. And right now you can sign up for the six figure therapist challenge. And once you sign up, you can invite other people and I'm actually giving away a spot in liberated business. So the person who invites the most people to the six figure therapist challenge will actually win a spot in liberated business for the entire year, which is around 15,000 in value. Nice. So invite your friends, tell them (laughs) they sign up for it. You'll get like a little, a little checkbox and the person with the most invites will win that spot. That's awesome. What a way to like make it kind of fun and gamify that process. Yeah. I was like, how can I get more people excited about this? How can I, how can I give back? Right. This is yeah. the thing that you can do in your business when you are really putting your oxygen mask on first, you can say like, okay, I can be generous in this way. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so just for folks who, um, 
I don't know, like they want to know a little bit more. Uh, what is your website where people can find information? Yeah, so that is felicitastherapy.org. And perhaps we can make sure it's in the show notes. Yep, yep. it'll be in the show notes. Yep, great. Yeah, I chose Felicitas because it means good luck. And I want therapists to feel lucky, to feel happy. And Mm -hmm. it's also the Latin version of my name. So I thought that would be fun. (laughs) Um, So you can definitely go to my website. You can find me on Instagram. And you can also join my free Facebook group, which is called Healing Money. And there are currently four free courses in there across topics like money, um, creating policies and practices in your businesses that work one on coaching. There are a lot of therapists right now who are considering coaching. So there's a course on that. So yeah, that's a free space to hang out with other like-minded therapists who are challenging what it means to be a good therapist and who are playing in the waters of maybe being a bad therapist (laughs) who is willing to feel all of the very sensational taboo feelings associated with actually getting what you want. Hmm. I like it. Very, what, what word did you use? Evocative? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Evocative, is, sensational. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So, so many places to hang out both free and paid. It's important for me to have a range. Um, yeah. So come hang out with me on the internet. I mean, I know I've been hanging out a little bit there, so I'll be, that's right. I'll be hanging out and seeing what's out there. Yeah. Um, so Before we wrap up today, I usually like to ask my guests um, if they were to leave the audience with something to chew on or something to think about, what would you want them to know? I think a great thing for folks to know is just start right where you're at. Uh, It's happening like your life is happening right now. It's not happening later. This is it. This is. (laughs) I think I had that experience before of like thinking I was going to get somewhere else, Mm -hmm. but this is, this is the life it's currently happening. So start right now with what you want, allow yourself the freedom to get it wrong, to try, to grow, to change, to learn, even learn things that, yeah, feel like a lot. You can start, you can start with a little. Mm -hmm but just start no matter what. And yeah, get support. Like I would not be here today having this conversation if I had not surrounded myself with community. I didn't talk about that much today, but I think Mm -hmm. it's important to say that I don't do any of this alone. Yeah. None of it happens by myself. Mm -hmm. So whether that's people that I employ uh, to support me in my business as like assistance or my own business coach or my spiritual community. None of this happens alone. So if you're out there feeling like you are alone, come find community. If you don't know where to start, you can always start with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. Awesome. appreciate that. Yeah. Start, start where you are, find your community things, things will start moving from there. I like that. They will. Awesome. Well, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I super appreciate just your willingness to, to come on the air and be a bad therapist and talk about taboo stuff and maybe, maybe just stir up some feelings for folks who are either not quite sure, or they're interested and excited and titillated, but like apprehensive at the same time. 
Um, I think that these types of conversations can, I know for me, when I've listened to other folks on different podcasts, talk about stuff like this, it has been a starting point for me to even consider that something can be different. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm so glad to get to be the bad therapist for the folks who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> we can always have a conversation about it. If you want to reach out. Awesome. All right. Thanks yeah, so much. Thank you so sharing. much, Meg. Yeah. Take care. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, I would absolutely love to have you join the Mental Status Patreon community, which is now officially open. When you join Patreon, you'll get access to a supportive community of like-minded mental health professionals, where I will be offering a ton of high-quality, deeper-dive content related to burnout, with everything from patron-exclusive podcast episodes and monthly webinars, to access to the Mental Status Facebook community, Q&A sessions, and more. To join the Patreon community, head on over to patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod and pick the level of support that fits best for you. Again, that is patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.